Hi, my name is Katie Chu, and I'll be reading uh, scripture for everyone today. Today's scripture reading is from Daniel chapter 5. If you, uh, yep, if you can turn to that page, that'd be great. Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king of his lords, his wives, and his concubines can drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king of his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of, Gap of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with, with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought to Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne. 
and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, teko, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in, uh, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. The word of the Lord. All right, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to our worship service. I'm Paul. I'm one of the pastors of our church. And if you're new or visiting, we especially want to warmly welcome you to our church community. And we hope you enjoy this time of worship as we praise, we just read the Word of God, and as we hear uh, the message as well. So we're currently going through a series through the book of Daniel. And Daniel is a prophet of the Old Testament. It's uh, during the time of exile where the Jews were exiled. This was the southern kingdom. Judah was exiled by the Babylonians around 530, 550 B.C. It's hard to know exact times for things that long ago. But uh, we see throughout the book um, God being with his people, being with Daniel particularly, and prophesying through him. And we see his character displayed in many ways through these stories that we've been uh, listening and, and um, hearing, and the visions of Daniel as well that will uh, come forward more uh, in the later chapters of our book. And we see God's faithfulness. We see his judgment. We see his protection and his care. We see that God is a God who is able because he is the almighty God. And today, our text is no different. And at this point in the book, the previous king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, is gone, and the current king is Belshazzar, or uh, Belshazzar, as a lot of people call him, so I'm going to call him Belshazzar. And here we see King Belshazzar is having a great feast, where they were using gold and silver that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem. 
And at this point in history, it might not be clear from what the text says, uh, they've been engaged in a long war already with the Persians and the Medes. And according to historians, the armies of these enemies are outside the city. They are right there, ready to attack. And we see, kind of see a hint of that in verse 30 of the passage we just read. But Belshazzar is, a, is having this feast instead, and it shows how confident he is, knowing that the enemies are right there, but he is just confidently having a party. Right? He is confident in his army and the supplies of the city, because if you're being surrounded, it's going to be hard to get outside supplies. So he wasn't really troubled by any of this, even though his enemies were right at his doorstep. But then we see, during this party, this writing on the wall. Right? And the idiom, you may have heard, the writing is on the wall, comes from this story. It means that the end is near. That's what the idiom means, right? So before we go any further, let's pray and ask the Lord to reveal his truth to us today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray for your spirit to move in our hearts, to help us to see your truth, your goodness, your faithfulness. And Lord, uh, teach us how we are to follow you, how we are to honor you, live for you, how we are to understand who you are. So God, be with all of us here today, those of us who do not believe in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Be with those who do not believe in, these, in, in this truth and that they would come to believe and, and help those of us who do believe in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we would draw closer and closer to you and to live for you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I don't really have this experience now, but when I was in school, I remember uh, every day around 2, 2.30, when school was about to end, I would always be anxiously waiting, looking at the clock, you know, just like staring at the clock, even though you're not supposed to, and just longing for school to end. Right? The last period of school, for me it was eighth period in high school, was the, the, the period that felt the longest. Right? Always felt like it was taking an eternity because I just wanted so badly for school to be over. Maybe some of you feel that way during school, or maybe you feel that way about work, right? You're just waiting, you know, looking at your phone or your watch till it hits 5 o'clock and you're ready to bolt out of there. Or not, maybe some of you just work at home, so, you know, hours don't even matter. But, you know, in these situations, we, the end cannot come soon enough. Right? We cannot wait till the end comes. Well, what's happening here is that the end comes sooner than we expect. There's no yearning or waiting for Belshazzar's reign to end, but the end rather comes suddenly. To recap what's been happening thus far in Daniel, um, everything that has happened has happened under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. He has been the king that we have seen in the first four chapters. In chapter one, we are in the beginning of his reign, and he just ascended to the throne, Nebuchadnezzar, and he had brought, uh, he had taken over uh, Judah and had brought the best of Judah, the young males, which would include Daniel and his friends, brought them to Babylon to be held captive, to learn the ways of the Babylonians so that they can labor and be productive citizens in this new land. And as we move into chapters 2 to 4, we go deeper into uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and we see that he is an ungodly king. 
who is gripped by idolatry and obsessed with building up his name and who continued to fail, fail to see the true living God, the God of Israel, the God of Judah, our God that we worship. But eventually, as we learned last week, he was brought to a place of humility. Right? His pride was finally broken after many, many years, and he finally repented. He understood, and he had reigned for over 45 years, and we don't know, you know all the details of this reign over 45 years, but most commentators agree that God didn't immediately deal with him in judgment, and God was actually extremely patient with him. God, he didn't immediately deal with him in judgment according to the sins that he had committed, because he had committed plenty of sins deserving judgment. And he could have been judged a long time ago. Thus far, we have seen God being exceedingly patient with the king. And it would be natural to assume that God would be patient with this current king. Another 45 years, perhaps, of patience. But that does not happen. Nebuchadnezzar is gone at this point already, and Belshazzar is now king, and it's been around, they say, around 20 years or so since Nebuchadnezzar's reign had ended, and a few kings apparently have been there in between. So, you know, it says father in the passage. It may not, it probably is not his real father. Uh, some people think it's his grandfather. Um, some people think uh, it's, it's not a, a kin relationship in that way. But what we know, the kingdom is not really doing well. And we can tell from our passage, spiritually speaking, it is a mess here. The spiritual environment is very, very bad. They're still in, very, in their idolatrous ways. And as soon as the chapter opens up, we see Belshazzar with this great feast. It seems like, he, like all he wanted to do was have a party, to party it up with his advisors and the noble people in his kingdom. And we see how he demands to use the gold and silver vessels from Jerusalem specifically to be brought and used at this drinking party, essentially disrespecting the Jewish people and their artifacts, and, and most importantly, disrespecting their religion by doing so. These vessels were created for the worship of our God, and it's not supposed to be used in these defiled ways and we see them instead praising the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron. And Belshazzar should have known better at this point. He should have learned from his presumed grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He should have learned about what pride will do from his forefathers. And that more importantly, the only reason he rules is because it is the will of God. It is under God's rule and authority. The will of God allows him to rule. He should know this based on the stories that he probably heard about Daniel. And in many ways, we see how foolish he is. And we see Daniel's not even really in the picture initially. We don't see him in the first nine verses. It seems like Daniel has been forgotten at this point. Not to mention that Belshazzar thought that the city would be fine with the enemies bearing down on them he was not wise in many ways, and it appears he is unteachable as well. He is disregarding his duties as a king, and he is blaspheming the true God. As a result of all this, God doesn't give Belshazzar 45 years, and most scholars believe it's only been about two years that he has reigned. 
And we see here in our passage how it all ends. He sees this handwriting on the wall, writing this message that no one understands while the nobles feasted together while they're having this party. And he was obviously scared, you could tell. The ESV calls it, um, his color changed, right? meaning he basically became pale as a result. He was so scared, he became pale. And, and Belshazzar summoned wise men, astrologers, and you know, Chaldeans, enchanters, all these people, to interpret this writing, to try to figure out this message. And none of them could understand it. And so the queen comes in, and most likely refers to the queen mother, reminds Belshazzar of the existence of Daniel, how Daniel helped interpret the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar many years before. And then Daniel is brought in, and Belshazzar is like, oh yeah, you're, you're that guy, I've heard of you, what you did in the past. And if Daniel is able to interpret this writing, you know, he offers this to the others too, the, the king offers a chain of gold uh, to clothe Daniel in purple, Purple was a very expensive color in those, in those times, and he'd basically received generous compensation for interpreting this. And Daniel says, no, I can keep all that, keep the gifts, give them to someone else. Um, and based on what he says in the Hebrew, it actually seems like he's very bluntly saying this. He's not pandering in any way. He's not there to pander to the king. He's there to prophesy about the impending judgment that is to come. And Daniel interprets the inscription that says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson, which is Aramaic. It's not, you know, it's not Hebrew, it's Aramaic, a language that they spoke in the empire. And so these other advisors to the king could actually read this. They understood what it said, but they didn't really know what it meant. But Daniel understands by God's anointing, and the passage goes on to explain this writing on the wall that's a form of sequence of decreasing weights. And in the noun... That's how you see this writing, the noun form of this writing. Um, but if you add certain vowels to these words, they would turn into verbs. That's how these ancient languages work. You add little notations to add vowels, and they turn into verbs. And this is how these languages worked in those days. And so it became a different meaning in the verb form, and this is what it says, um, how Daniel interpreted it. Numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. And God had numbered the days of Belshazzar's kingdom and is bringing his reign to an end. And he has been wanting, right? That's what this text says. been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Wanting means lacking. He has been found lacking as a king. And on the next day, we see he's taken over. The kingdom has been taken over by the Medes and the Persians, and they are divided among those kingdoms. And so for our message I want to just have three points for us. First, that God deals with injustice in his own time. Second, that all types of servants are instruments for his will. And thirdly, that God is our sovereign king who is sovereign over all things, including our salvation. So first, we'll deal with how God deals with injustice in his own time. With Nebuchadnezzar, he showed patience, and he eventually came around but with Belshazzar, justice was swift. Daniel actually even compares Belshazzar to Nebuchadnezzar in verses 18 to 23. That's what that portion of the text is about, saying how Nebuchadnezzar was eventually humbled by God, but Belshazzar was not humbled himself. And on the, on the surface, this appears to be unfair, 
right? Nebuchadnezzar had 45 years to get this right. But why does Belshazzar, without any warning, seem to get swiftly judged? The reality is we are not totally sure why or how this works. It is God's timing that does this. All we know is that God is truly a patient God. He is a patient God. He has displayed his patience with Nebuchadnezzar. But God is also a God of justice. And that was displayed with Belshazzar as well. So God is both of these things. And in fact, we cannot assume that God will be indefinitely patient with us. Of course, God is patient. Only a patient God can forgive us of our sins through Jesus Christ. But we also know God is a God of justice who will judge us. And there will be a time where we will all be judged, whether it is when Jesus returns or when our time on earth comes to an end. I remember when I was in high school, I had a friend uh, from, from church, from our local church that attended um, church but did not really believe in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And I remember he would say things like, yeah, you know, I feel like I can wait on this God stuff till I'm like 30, you know? Like, I don't have to take it seriously right now. Like, it kind of doesn't matter right now. I can kind of do whatever I want. But when I'm older, that's when it'll matter, when my life actually matters, right? I still have, I'll still have 40, 50 years left of my life to live. That's when I can go to church, you know, do good things and serve and take my family to church because I want my family to obviously go to church too. And he thought he he could just be free to enjoy all the pleasures of the world now and indulge in fulfilling his worldly desires and worry about the God stuff later. And the assumption is you think that you have all this time. But that is not always the case. And how many, of you, how many of us view our lives in this way where we feel like we have all the time in the world? Those, especially those of us who seemingly have a lot more time left, those of us who consider ourselves young. I think many of us do consider ourselves young. But unfortunately, for a couple of reasons, this is not wise. Reason number one is we really don't know when our life on earth will end. We do not know. Jesus may return at any moment, and we can die at any moment. If we think about the unpredictable nature of life, it can really be frightening. It's really scary. Thinking about the hurricane that just hit us in Florida, South Carolina, and those areas. Hurricane can hit us at any moment. Even with all the technology in the world now, sometimes it is unexpected. It is unavoidable. Last year, around this time, when Hurricane Ida hit, People were literally just going grocery shopping. And before you know it, they were drowning in their cars. Last week, a pastor from Virginia, part of the denomination I'm a part of, he lost his 23-year-old daughter in a car accident. Totally unexpected and devastating. We cannot assume that we will have all this time left. It's not in our timing. God is... God is working in that timing. And life is not beholden to what we think things will look like in the future. But it's all according to God's timing for the world. The second point for today is that all types of servants are instruments for his will. 
In verse 10, we see that Daniel finally comes into the picture, once again, after a long period of being forgotten. The queen remembers him and has the dignity to call him by his name, his Hebrew name, Daniel, right? not, not his adopted name, Belteshazzar, because she sees that he is truly a servant of God. She even testifies to his spirituality, to his holiness. Right? Daniel worships a different God from them, but she sees something about Daniel that is different. And the, when the world looks at us as Christians, followers of, the, of Jesus, they oftentimes look at us like Belshazzar does, forgotten, really insignificant. And that is true. In the eyes of the world, being a Christian is oftentimes foolishness. It is kind of silly to some people. John says in 1 John chapter 3 that the world may even hate us for what we believe. We can't expect people to like us or love us for being Christians because what we believe may clash with what the world says is good, what the culture says is right. And I'm sure part of the reason why Belshazzar didn't really think about Daniel was because he was a Jew. He was a Jew who has done remarkable things in the past, but nevertheless, he was still just a Jew. If he was a sorcerer or a wise man who adhered to the religions of the Babylonians, sure, he would have had much more favor. He would have been invited at the party to be right there with the rest of them, drinking it up, partying it up. But he wasn't there because he was faithful to the true and living God. But for whatever reason, we don't know why, the queen remembers him. And the queen remembers him and, and honors him. She remembers that he is a holy, spiritual man. And when we are faithful, when we as Christians are faithful, when we seek to honor him and his will, God will give us opportunities to be his instruments. Many in the world may not see it. Many will not understand it. But there are some who, by the work of the Holy Spirit, will see our witness, and God will use that. I mentioned this before on a lot of occasions, but the reality is it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian in our context. There is more antagonism towards Christianity. There is more temptation to turn away from God and to turn to the worldly things. The more the world hates us, the more we will be tempted to give in to the world. And we, we will see many of our brothers and sisters fall away. And I, I hope that we are ready to see that. And may the Lord help us and give us mercy so that a lot of those things will be limited and negated. But brothers and sisters, my exhortation to you is hold fast to the truth of the word of God. Hold fast to the truth of of Christ, no matter what is happening around us. Remember what Christ has done for us. The ways of the world will shift constantly. We see that more so now than ever. What is good and right in the eyes of the culture constantly changes. Just look at how fashion trends change constantly. What was ugly 10 years ago is now considered popular and cool now. Right? The word tells us the flowers fade and the grass withers, but his word stands forever. Let us stand on the word of God, what Christ has done on the cross. That is what stands forever. And all types of servants, all of us who are Christians, who believe in Christ, are used as instruments for 
his will. So the main role that we have as servants, as followers of Christ, is to be faithful, to be set apart from the world, to be witnesses to and do good deeds and love our neighbors and share the gospel with them. If we do these things, God will use us. Now, this doesn't mean, oh, yeah, if the world hates us, that means we're doing something right. That's obviously not always the case. If the world hates us for our hypocrisy, for being coercive, for being abusive, or for being manipulative, that's not a good thing, obviously. But if the world hates us because we stand for truth, because we believe in one true God, because we stand against sin, then so be it. That is the cost of following Christ. But the ways in which the world hates us matters. It's not our goal for the world to hate us. Our goal is to love God, to love our neighbors, and that others would come to know him as well. Let me just give some examples. For one, there are many churches and organizations people who have, or people who have had extremely bad reputation in the world. These churches and Christians and organizations are known for their love of money, for their abusive tendencies, for their manipulative tactics, for their hypocritical teaching. The, the prosperity gospel movement is one of those examples. And unfortunately, a lot of megachurches fall into this category at times. These are churches with more than 2,000 people. And when, when the world hates you for that, that is not good. But if the world hates you for saying that you believe in only one way to salvation, one way to heaven, and that is believing in the gospel of Jesus, and they tell you that you're closed-minded for thinking this way, they think that you're being exclusionary and not inclusive enough, then that is something that we should not be surprised about. That is a part of being a follower of Christ in a world where our values do not always line up with the world. That goes with our views on homosexuality, abortion, these controversial topics and issues that create a lot of division in our world already, even on their own. And the main problem is oftentimes Christians, Christianity doesn't neatly fit into any one category. We're not exactly right or exactly left or exactly Republican or exactly Democrat. And that's why we use our conscience as Christians when we vote and have civic engagement. But nevertheless, the point is that we are to be faithful to the Lord in all that we do. When we seek to be holy in all that we do, when we trust in Christ with our lives, God will use us. God will use all of us. We are instruments of God. And even though the world may hate us, even though it oftentimes feels that we, what we do is fruitless and meaningless, God is working in us and through us. All types of servants are instruments for his will. And the last point for today for our message is that God is the sovereign king over all, including salvation. It has been revealed through the writing on the wall that Belshazzar is a fool. He built up his own kingdom, his own name, but he squandered it all for, to eat and drink for himself. It's just like the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 who stores up food only to keep it all for himself. Daniel exposes that judgment is on its way, and it comes immediately. Now, we would like to think that Belshazzar indeed deserves this judgment, and we are elated at the justice of the Babylonian empire ending. It's a good thing, of course. 
But instead of pointing our finger at Belshazzar, I think a huge part of the story is examining how we are prone to be just like him. We too are oftentimes consumed with pride. We participate in debauchery and profanity, and we profane what is holy. We too rely on the wisdom of the world to figure out our mysteries or riddles. We too store up treasures only for our own personal gain and our own satisfaction. This, brothers and sisters, friends, leads us to see that we have no hope in salvation on our own. Our sins are too great. Our pride is too overwhelming. And that is why we need God, the sovereign king to be Lord over our lives and Lord over our salvation. God himself proves over and over again that he is truly in control of all these things. Not these worldly kings. No, actually, he himself declares to be king. Sinful men turned away from God as king. God even gave the Israelites their own earthly kings, whom all fell short, and were eventually handed over to foreign kings, whom God says are not truly the ones who reign. But God repeatedly shows that he alone is king. He is the sovereign king who saves us, and he is also the one who judges us. And we know this through the Son of God, who was sent by the Father to be born, die, and resurrect for all of our sins. Christ is our humble King that died on the cross and has now eternally saved us of our past, present, and future sins. Jesus is our King and has given us salvation and continues to save us. God saved his people over and over in the Old Testament, and it's not obvious in our story for today, but it will become clear when we go into later chapters of Daniel that he is doing the same thing. He continues to save his people in Babylon. We see it over and over again. God is our sovereign king. He is ruler over all, and he is the one who saves and judges. So knowing all these things that this chapter reveals, what is the application for us? Well, first, because we know that God deals with injustice in his own time, that he is in control, should actually motivate us to constantly examine ourselves, to see the state of our hearts, to examine our own hearts, because we do not know when our time on earth will end. So it should lead us to closely examine our hearts and really ponder and reflect on how we want to live moving forward. We should ask ourselves, are we treasuring Christ, or are we treasuring the things of this world? Are we living to be obedient to his commands or living just for our own desires? May we examine ourselves here today, especially as we partake in communion, where we are called to examine our hearts to see if we are worthily partaking of the Lord's Supper. Secondly, let us consider the ways in which we are called to be instruments for God. How can we be servants of our God? How can we be faithful to his word, share the gospel, and be set apart from the world? Perhaps we need to love our neighbors better. We need to reconcile with a family member or a coworker or a classmate. Perhaps we can be more bold and honest about what we believe to others instead of being afraid of what others may think of us. 
Some of us may think we're not good enough to be used by God. You might think, I'm a nobody. I don't have talent or skills. Daniel, he at least, you know, he was forgotten, but he at least had skills. He could, you know, interpret dreams. He could interpret visions and interpret writings. But what can I do? God repeatedly tells us that it is never about our abilities, but it is about his will and his power that can work through us. Daniel didn't have his own abilities. God gave him those abilities. And God has given all of us abilities, ways in which we can serve, because God says we are all called to serve. And that goes to our last application question. Let us, let us consider, do we truly believe that God is sovereign over all? Do we truly believe that? Do we believe it, or do we believe that we have some semblance of control in our lives? Or are we so prideful that we believe that we can save ourselves? Or even worse, we believe we don't even need saving. May the Lord speak to you. Enlighten your hearts as we examine ourselves and think through these questions and these things that have been put forth. And our hope and prayer as a church is that all of us would see that God is our sovereign king who has given us salvation in Jesus Christ and how we cannot assume that we have all the time in the world. We do not have all this time. We cannot assume that we have all this time. So may we put our full faith and trust in him so that we can be his instruments for his will, for his glory, for his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your mercy and grace upon us, Lord. God, many of us admit that we do not take our faith seriously enough. Lord, we think that we have all this time to do things for you and your kingdom. But Lord, we know that in our hearts, if we do not follow you now, Lord, we know that chances of us following you in the future are very, very slim. Lord, we also know that our time on earth, we do not know how long we have. God, help us to have a sense of urgency to do all that we can to serve you, to love you, to love one another, to reconcile with our brothers and sisters who we need to reconcile with, to forgive those who we need to forgive, to ask for forgiveness to those we need to ask for forgiveness. Lord God, help us to see the ways in which that, Lord, you are in control of these things. God, we do not have to do these things out of our own power, our own will, but God, it is by your strength, by your grace, by your spirit that we can do anything. So God, we come to you now humbly asking that you would help us, move in us, Help us to see the ways in which we are falling short. May we repent of those sins. Turn to you. Help us, O Lord, here today. May we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.